Welcome to This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. I'm Colleen Mitchell, and I've had type 1 diabetes for 25 years. I'm a life coach, author, and speaker. I also work full time as a process analyst in the power industry. I'm passionate about type 1 diabetes education and showing others that this disease doesn't define me. I'm Jessie Tuggy, and I've had diabetes for nine years. I love hiking and painting. I'm looking forward to working as an engineer after I get my degree in college. My diagnosis has inspired me to take control of my life and my future, to learn everything I can about type 1 diabetes. Each week on the show, we'll talk about real life with type 1 diabetes, bring on cool people with connections to type 1, and above all, encourage you to understand that this disease doesn't have to hold you back. This isn't medical advice. This is life with type 1. Welcome to episode 83 of This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. Today, we're talking with Delia Scales, founder of Wiki Hospitals, which is an organization about making healthcare sustainable using new technology and home-based care. Delia has a database of all sorts of different tech resources, and many of them apply to type 1 diabetes. Before we get into the interview, Jesse and I are going to be sharing our wins and fails of the week, and Jesse has the win this week. It's more of a win slash fail. So just hear me out. You'll, un- you'll understand that, I promise. So this week was the first week of our second semester at my school, meaning schedules usually get changed or stuff gets shifted around a lot. And sometimes, which happened to me this time, the counselors or people who move your schedules don't actually tell you that they moved you to a different class. So my win this week is that I stayed on top of my counselor because she screwed up my schedule. So on Tuesday, we got our new classes and I tried logging into my first period class, getting on the Zoom meeting and and just going to sit in and take notes for the day and then close up my computer and do something else. Yeah, that didn't happen. And instead, I looked at my online schedule and I was put into the nutrition and wellness class. I honestly don't think I need that at this point. (laughs) With that being said, I sent a somewhat passive aggressive email saying that this was about the fourth time they screwed up my schedule this year. And I asked her to please fix her mistakes. And then next time, tell me something gets moved. So (laughs) I'm really upset that I missed the first day because I would have gotten an extra day on an assignment that he gave us. Luckily, I'm getting caught up this weekend. So yeah, win slash fail. Yay. Uh, counselors. Yes. So what's your fail, your actual fail, the actual fail this week, Colleen? The actual fail this week is, so I changed my sensor and my set at the same time. I think it was two days ago. And after the sensor warmed up and was showing my blood sugar, it was nice at like 110. And then it just went up to like 170 and stayed there for three hours for no apparent reason. So that was fun. And that was even with bolusing for it. So it's just another reminder that sometimes this stuff happens and there's not really that much we can do about it. Oh, that's that's the fail this week. What is our tip? Okay, so this is kind of generalized a little bit, but our little tip slash hack this week is to find a low carb food that you really, really like, like maybe cheeses, avocados, chicken, something that you really like and you really enjoy on one thing. And then kind of expand and take that thing with you when you expand your palate. For example, I am trying to find different ways to do avocados. 
And since there really isn't much that I knew off the top of my head, I did have to do a little digging, but I found some really good ideas besides that Instagram ready avocado toast. And yes, that is a recipe I found on the internet. Oh, avocado toast is just so millennial. Honestly, I tried it. It is so good. It made me spike just a tad, but I think like with the balancing of the carbs and the fats, it didn't like spike me that like as bad as I thought it would. So it was actually pretty, I'm pretty impressed. So that's why I pick avocados most of the time when I do low carb stuff. I'm like, oh, I should do this with this. Anyways, so the thing that I did was I took the avocados to the toast because they're low carb and I found a recipe for a smoothie that is low carb ish that you can make. And the only reason I say it's low carb ish is because there's about a half a table, not even half, but just a touch of honey in it that you put in with it. And it doesn't really spike you, but you definitely like feel the sugar and like you'll taste the sugar and you'll feel it in your system, but it won't like send you skyrocketing. You know, you'll just might have to put in like five, 10 carbs for it. Unless you're like super carb sensitive like me. Yeah, that's true. Unless you're carb, super carb sensitive. But anyways, I feel like I should tell the recipe now because I love it so much. Okay, go ahead. Okay, cool. <laughs> you put avocado, a little bit of honey, cinnamon, and vanilla, and almond milk in a blender. And you blend it and you make avocado pudding. It takes a second to get used to the texture and the flavor, but oh my gosh, it's grown on me and I love it. Like I'll, I'll eat it like as like dessert, like maybe twice a week, but Sounds like I you could also put chia seeds in there. You probably could. I just didn't have any and I want to go to the store and get like more things that I can put in, like maybe like half a banana, even though that's more carbs, but you know, something, something to give a little bit more pizzazz. So here's the interview with Delia Scales. All right. Welcome to the show, Delia. It's nice to have you on. Thank you for having me on your show, Colleen. This is, this is great. All right. So we like asking, starting out with asking the question, basically give us the rundown of who you are, what you do, and the role that diabetes plays, or in this case, has played in your life. Okay. I'm a retired nurse. I live in Australia. And, you know, when you work in the system, you see... Lots of problems that you can't necessarily help manage. You see people who are diagnosed with things like diabetes, but they're given very little information about how to manage it. When they do come in, say, into the emergency department, there's not the follow-up that there should be. So things can go wrong and there's not the ongoing care that really needs to occur. So when I left nursing, I thought, what are my options? I discovered a whole world of new health technology products that's really using the capability of a smartphone to offer people much better diagnosis, much more accurate treatment and helping keeping them out of hospital. So I started collecting lists and I now have a global database of health tech services on my website. That's wikihospitals.com. So I promote them and I write stories about things that have gone wrong with patients just to let people know, hey, things can go wrong. Too much money can be spent. Mistakes can be made. And let's all try and make things better. So is there any type 1 diabetics in your family? No. I've got a cousin who was uh, had gestational diabetes, that's all. So this is, it's not a, I mean, I have other things in my family like cancer, but not diabetes. When you were in your nursing career, did you come across a lot of type 1 diabetics? 
Yes, and um, part of the time I worked in intensive care and, you know, really all of the cases that I saw were people who just shouldn't have ended up in that situation and it was due to lack of really quality management, keeping people away from, you know, the swings and crashes of type 1 diabetes, which is such a dangerous disease. So people would end up spinning out of control, being admitted, being put on both a glucose and an insulin infusion and you know that then causes problems like um, low potassium levels and there are other issues too so you know I've seen people develop type 1 diabetes from other medications so overall I've seen some quite dangerous situations occur that when you look at them from a practical point of view particularly being aware of new technology those situations did not need to occur and I believe in Australia about 50 type 1 diabetics die every year from what's called dead in bed syndrome I'm sure you know about that so all of these deaths could be prevented. So in your career as a nurse, have you experienced burnout? <laughs> uh, yeah, we all experience that. What does burnout mean to you? Look, I think frustration, you know, people don't always realize that when you're at the ground floor, if you're a nurse or a doctor, you don't really have any control over the patient's treatment. You just have to see what comes in through the door and do the best you can in that moment and then off they go to somebody else or to be discharged or to go up to the ward. So burnout really comes, I think, from not being able to manage people properly. And that's one of the reasons I also like to promote the new kinds of primary care called concierge medicine, whereby people have ongoing proper treatment and they develop a relationship with the doctor or a nurse in the community. They see them for much longer periods of time and they just have far less risk of ending up in a bad situation. Going back to your own burnout, how did you how did you manage to get out of it or or like what did you do to help yourself deal with the burnout? <laughs> I left. <laughs> There's really not a lot of choice. The health system, both public and private, it's like being in a sausage factory. You know, you <clears throat> you really can't step out and say, you know, I want to spend half an hour talking to the patient about this issue. You're very much controlled by a series of small minor tasks that you simply have to complete. And it's the same with doctors. So you really can't step outside the box. So for, for most of us, really, moving on is, is the only option. There's very little uh, room to move in nursing. And I think even for doctors, it's, got, it's the same issue. So what's some advice that you have for diabetics or for anybody who's feeling burnt out and just tired and exhausted? Okay, well, for type 1, number 1, obviously, as you know, it's a really dangerous disease people's blood sugar can crash unexpectedly. And I would say straight away, you need to be using a product that either is a wearable device that monitors your blood sugar continuously via what we call Internet of Things, stick on a wearable or you know, a, a device that's attached to your body that syncs to a smartphone. Uh, the other option is there's an app that's got an algorithm in it that if you enter all of the information about yourself or about your child, all of the diet, all of the exercise, all of the blood sugars and all of the insulin, then it will give you a future prediction for the next eight to 10 hours. It's pretty much always accurate. So number one, type one, you must have one of these tech products. What's the name of that one where it predicts your blood sugars? Because that sounds awesome. It is. Uh, it's by an Australian. I'm really proud of him. Now it's called Predict BGL, but I think he's just changed the company name. Okay. If you look up uh, Manage... BGL, M-A-N-A-G-E-B-G-L.com. It's by 
a guy called Simon Carter. I did a an interview with him, which is on my website. He's um he's a great guy. He's actually a data analyst who had type one diabetes, and when his little girl was born, the age of two, she was diagnosed, and he said, "Okay, she's never going to become at risk." So he spent years working out how to come up with an algorithm, and it goes through the cloud. So you can have the teachers at school put in data. You can have mum and dad at home. You can have cousins. Anybody can put the data in, and it's got to be quite detailed. All the food, the breakdown of the food, the diet, the exercise, everything, and it'll just say, "Okay, next eight hours, that's what it's going to be." And it's pretty much always accurate. And it's been, it's it's been approved, and it's been on the market for a number of years. That sounds awesome. I'm going to check yes, that out. Is. And what will we put in the show notes? Yeah, I I love I love what I do. I just this is just wonderful, you know. I when you're in the system you're just stuck, you know, at the end of the bed with a patient who's really unwell and and you know they shouldn't have ended up in the situation and here I am now promoting these new products that can prevent that situation from occurring. So this for me is just lovely. That kind of leads into the next question, which is what was your biggest frustration with healthcare when you were working as a nurse? Look, uh, people don't need to end up in bad situations, whether it's, um, you know, intensive care really is, it's full of patients who shouldn't have ended up in that situation. And it's because in healthcare, our use of technology is very, very poor. I would say it's about 25 years behind the rest of the world or the rest of, of other industries, whether it's medical records, whether it's the way diagnoses are made. There's a huge error rate, I believe, um, just uh, with uh, radiology scans, the error rate is currently between 30 and 70%. So there's lots of problems. And because it's a third-party payment system, there's no incentive to improve. So if you have two people with diabetes, one gets dreadful treatment and they end up crashing and go going to the emergency department and then in intensive care, and one is managed really well, they both get the same amount of money from either a government or a private system. So there's no incentive for anybody to improve. So, and my brain is kind of stuck on the fact that the error rate is between thirty and seventy percent for radio. That's radiology scans, yeah. But it's very similar with they've done lots of tests. Um, say discharge, discharge summary. One in ten discharge summary has an incorrect diagnosis. I mean, there's there's errors all through the system. You know, it's just it's just to do with the payment system. There's no incentive to improve. So, in, in terms of diabetes, I've seen. A study showing that you know there's a huge number of people with diabetes that have incorrect medication recommended by their doctors. You know, pharmacists normally pick some of these up, but all through the system, the data is really it's either incorrect or there's missing parts of data, or there are just continuous errors, um, and it all adds up to a very high risk of things going wrong. So, one of the first things I'd say to diabetics is, yes, if you're a type one, you must have continuous monitoring, but also be aware of these errors. And have a new kind of primary care where you sit down with a doctor that's your doctor for at least an hour at every visit and go through all of your medical records. Do you really have this disease? Do you really go to this hospital? Are you really taking these drugs? <laughs> Is that really your surname? <laughs> are you really at that address? <laughs> yeah. Are these problems that you've seen in the Australian healthcare system or are they also in the American one? They're also in the American one. I mean, there's, yeah. there's a study that was done by a great guy called Marty McCary. He's a doctor who's quite famous. He works for the Johns Hopkins Institute and he does a research into um, health safety and he does advocacy for patients who have got large out-of-pocket costs. And uh, the study 
that he did a couple of years ago with other people show that medical errors are the third highest cause of death in America. So That is terrifying. Well, the first thing that I would do is, is, is if people have diabetes, let them know this information. It's not because individual doctors or nurses are bad people. It's because the data is such poor quality. There are so many errors, so many fragmented systems. So there's, there's no cross-referencing, no checking of errors. So I would always say you need continuous monitoring, particularly if you type 1. It's just not negotiable. And you need to have a new kind of primary care like concierge medicine or, or direct primary care where you have your own doctor and, yes, you pay money for that. You pay like a, a plan and you see the same doctor all the time for an hour at a time and they get to really know you and then they get to talk, they get to talk about things and that will reduce your error rate. Do you have a, a favorite or maybe a memorable story about any type 1 diabetics that you worked with when you were a nurse? Yeah, look, I just remember in particular standing at the end of the bed of young kids um, on continuous infusions of both insulin and glucose because they'd come in unstable and we're trying to stabilize them. And as you know, type 1 can be very unstable. So you're, say, doing their BSL every 10 minutes, keeping a chart of that, looking at the infusions, adjusting them and going, you know, really, this is someone's child. We shouldn't be in this situation. Um, this is very dangerous. So there's no particular story, just that young people need <laughs> to have the best chance of, um, of going into adulthood and, you know, living a normal lifespan. And the system that we have now is not good. And we really need to get the message out that you must have technology. You must be looking at these new products. You must go out and buy them. And... You need a heads up about the errors and you need to get a different kind of primary care. Uh, I mean, I have written a story about there's misuse of insulin in some nursing homes, but that's not related to diabetes. It's, that's more nursing home issues. So mainly I'd like young people to be safe. What's a relatively unknown or obscure health technology that you think deserves a lot more attention than it's getting currently? Well, people know about things like artificial intelligence, but they don't really know what that means. Taking artificial intelligence for an example, they're gathering more and more data from people's genomes and um, also from people's behaviour via health apps. And they're getting bigger and bigger data sets that is enabling people to then consider what actually may be the cause of things like type 1 diabetes. With a number of diseases they're looking more at an autoimmune disease rather than the disease being like, you know, a disease of, of itself. They're saying maybe the, the immune system wasn't exposed to worms and bacteria and viruses when, when the kid was young. So, for example, I've seen a study showing that young people with cancer, they believe that that's linked to a weak immune system that hasn't been exposed to the things that we were biologically designed to be exposed to. And the, the immune system's gone AWOL, so to speak. So, you know, there's, there's things like multiple sclerosis and asthma, but also other diseases like cancer. And they're looking at that with diabetes as well. So AI, people know the word, but not necessarily what it means, is giving us a way to analyze really big data, which is giving us a very different view of what individual diseases are actually being caused by. Are there any specific products that come to mind that use AI? Really, all of these products are using AI because what you have is, say, with these diabetes products, there's a wearable device so that syncs by 
Bluetooth to a smartphone and you see the analytics, but what you might not realise is that's going to a cloud service and the cloud service is tapping into somebody's AI program and then that's connecting with other big data sets. So what you're getting back might be a nice you know, little bar chart or a pie chart, but that's run through algorithms to say, look, really the big because of AI running in the background. So it's not necessarily what you see, right? There's there's cloud-based services that are in the background as well. So this kind of is a little nerdy, but I guess this whole AI conversation was nerdy. You, you, yeah. you use Airtable for your Wiki Hospitals database, and I use Airtable as well. I'm curious to hear, like, how okay. did you decide to use that? And, like, how do you find it's, um, like, how effective is it? Look, I'm personally quite frustrated. I'm moving my website to a MySQL database, which I've got to pay to have somebody to set that up. Airtable is, is like a simple spreadsheet online, and that's nice. But one of the issues that I have is that people use different language when they go looking for things. So like, you know, a, a doctor or a nurse will look under medical specialty. So I've got diabetes under endocrinology. But then a patient might say, oh, well, look, I'm a diabetic. So I've got diseases, conditions, diabetes. But then other people might say, well, look, I'm from India. So what have you got from India? So they need to search country origin. Or somebody might say, look, you know, I want a smartphone app. So then they need to look under the product, which is apps. Or somebody might say, look, you know, I'm a patient. So search under patient. So they're, in order to make searching easy for people, you need to be able to let them access the data from different angles. So that comes down to a fully-fledged database. And I'm just a self-funded retiree, so yes, Airtable's affordable, but I'm paying now for a MySQL database and then you can have AI-included search functions added onto that so people will be able to, you know, like you've seen auto-suggest when you type in Google and other search engines, that's part of using AI. There's there, there's things that you can link into your database. So when the, when the user's on the website and going, you know, I, I want this, I think, then it will say, let's put them in that category or, or that category. So, yeah, Airtable's a good stopgap, but it's not serving my purpose anymore. Oh, that's good to know. <laughs> well, you, you've got the same problem or? Well, I just, I know that Airtable does have a lot of weaknesses and uh, in my at my full-time job, we use a lot of SQL databases because they are much easier to, yeah. to link together and it's a lot more flexible. But also, whatever you have, you need. There's new AI products that are like a plug into this, to, into your website. And they, they've got search functions. So they're able to look at where the, the web viewers come from, pick up their location. They can even have one little pick up on what their Facebook details are the kind of searching that they're doing, you know, people often talk blah, 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 blah. And, you know, then this happened and then that happened. And then I, I think it could be this, I'm not really sure. And they can put that together and say, that's what we think. So an AI component to add on to a MySQL database is, is what I'd like. And then also I need a, a fast loading front end. So I'm heading to something called a headless CMS, which is breaking up the back end, which is your database, MySQL, and the front end, which is um, something in JavaScript that loads quickly and runs in the browser and allows people to quickly scan through a lot of information. That's a bit techy. So nerdy. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm glad. And that's, that's, that's the area I'm heading into, <laughs> unfortunately, because, uh, you know, I used to use WordPress, but it's hopeless. I mean, I killed my site. It just slowed down to a slug. 
Yeah. So, you know, new technology is good, but, you know, what do you do? The money. <laughs> How do you find new products and services to add to your database? Okay, I have a range of information sources. So I get uh, – there are some health tech companies I subscribe to. There are some venture capitalist health tech companies I subscribe to. There are some entrepreneur-type blogs that I subscribe to. And then occasionally I'll go searching via Quora. There are some medical doctors that I follow on social media. It's a matter of picking and choosing. So there's no really easy way to do it. Across different countries, products are quite different. I really like what's happening in India. I think it's a really great, innovative place. They're really working on remote care and delivering things at a very low cost. And those products might be mentioned in magazines. There are other blogs like mine that talk about things. So I have a look at them from time to time. So I I pull in from a range of sources that are sort of like bits and pieces that are unrelated. I try and assess each website. I go, I always find a video. I go, is this really useful? My interest is, is this practical? Is this useful? Has this been approved? Is this going to solve the problem? And is this cheap? So what kind of attention has Wiki Hospital gotten? And are you reaching the audience that you wanted to reach? And if not, how has that changed? Uh, good question. Look, I, I just don't have the money to promote what I have because I'm just a single person. So I, I sort of exist in the health nerd, health techie, a few health executive type space. So I'm, I'm on LinkedIn and, you know, this, this sort of conversation goes on among a very small group of people. So, you know, we all really are talking to the converted and that's nice, but it's not what I want. I don't want that at all. I want the average mum and dad to be able to get online and look up what they need straight away. But reaching them is very difficult. I just don't have the money to, to build a commercial product or to go out and advertise what I have. I'm not part of any network. I couldn't raise money. I don't make money, and you need to be making money before someone's going to give you some funding. So I've got a small audience, and it's, we're really just talking to the converted. So stepping outside that is, is difficult. But that's part of what going on different podcasts is for, right? I totally agree. I think this is just, this is the best thing that I've discovered because most people really know that that mainstream media is not delivering their needs and has really gone off off the planet, really. Um, so, you know, this new media, which is podcasts, is just wildly popular. I mean, the world of podcasting is just, it's astronomical and I think it's magic. I love it. So I'm really happy to be part of this um, group and and I just love going on podcasts because I know that you guys deliver my message out to the mums and dads and that's who I want to be communicating with. Yeah, totally. You mentioned India as one of the countries that you're really interested in watching right now, but yes. I'm, I'm curious about what country or countries develop the most new healthcare tech like across the board. Israel, you know, they're very smart people. And they have a big military and the military and health technology, are very, they're, they're very similar sort of products. They're really quite similar industries, to be honest. So a huge amount of research pours out of Israel and then it might find a home in the US or go all around the world, really. And, you know, products will have to go through a trial period. So they might, it might be 
the research might be developed in Israel and then go and have a trial in um, in another country, and then it'll be picked up by an American because the Americans are doing uh, you know the the commercialization so well. So that's really good. But there's also ways of not just using technology, but ways of of cutting costs. I mean, they have things in India called spoken and wheels, spoken hubs. So you've got like community people um, that are not nurses, they're not doctors, but they're sent out with a smartphone and um, some smart devices and they're out doing diagnostics out in villages. That information's bounced to a doctor who might be in a, a rural, a regional town or a regional city a few hundred miles away and they'll start uh, looking at the data. They might send it to the cloud for analytics to come back and then they'll say to the the community worker really, look, you know, you need to do this or you need to do that. Bring the patient in or leave them there. So they really, the new tech is great, but it's also about we need we need new ways of delivering the care. So, you know, telemedicine is part of that, but also changing the way we actually deliver healthcare. So it's out in the community, which is where it needs to be. And you don't need to be a registered nurse to be doing tests for, patient, for patients, to be giving drugs to patients. You don't need to be a nurse. You can be an ordinary community worker. An enrolled nurse, a carer, that's fine. Have you used any of the products that are listed on your website? Yes, uh, I'm an, I have asthma. So I have a plug into my phone. So you blow into it. It's like a spirometer, but it um, sends data to an app and that sends data to the cloud and that sends some analytics back. So yes, you know, I, I, certainly, um, I certainly use these products and I think they're wonderful. It's just so much more accurate. I mean, the when you consider things like the traditional way of managing a disease like asthma or diabetes is you have these occasional tests and you write things down in a bit of paper, then you go and see the doctor and the doctor says, look, how are you? And you say, oh, look, not bad. I mean, that's not relevant. <laughs> that's not accurate. That's just nonsense. It's the equivalent of throwing, you know, paper airplanes out of a window. It's 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 nonsense. So, you know, these new ways of collecting data via a plug into your smartphone up to the cloud, analytics, and then look, you know, a proper conclusion. That's what's needed for, for all chronic conditions, including diabetes. What aspect of Wiki Hospital are you wanting to share the most? Well, it, I have two aspects. One is, is stories about problems that patients have experienced, and they're just little stories. And when people read them, they go, oh, I, aha, now I see. That's good. But, but I think, you know, my favorite thing is this list that I've got on the Health Tech Startup page of all the services. So if you use a desktop, you can filter it and then you can go looking for what you need and you can see the company name, an overview, their website, a video I try and have for all the products, which is really, really important. What specialty it is, what disease it fixes, where it comes from and then what sort of product it is and what technology it uses. And I've got my own little rating system. So it really, you know, the best thing I think about the website is is open source information. Hey, guys, all these products are out there. Please have a look. Be aware of what your options are and and then go to these companies and, and have a look at their products. I mean, most of them know they need to sell directly to customers. They're not getting through to patients via insurance plans or by government because they're not being accepted because of the payment system does not reward an improved service. So you'll have to pay yourself, but they're not that, they're not that expensive. And you'll be much safer. So you've already mentioned uh, continuous glucose monitors as something that diabetics should be on. But do you have any other advice for the, the young diabetics out there? Yeah, look, 
even with the best controlled blood sugar, for type 1s, you know, risk of renal failure, risk of blindness, risk of foot ulcers, I mean, it's all there. There are some products like there's, uh, I think it's Podmatic, where there's like a mat that you can stand on and it uses heat sensors to look at your feet. Then it starts to build up a picture. And the moment the heat patterns change, it can alert you and say, listen, you need to have your feet looked at. That's quite smart. They're using AI to test people's vision. So even before they get diabetes-related retinopathy, it can pick it up. So there's very early screening that's being worked on. So I would say, okay, yes, you need, you know, you must have the monitoring. That's absolutely essential. But also you must be getting ready to look out for early risks of kidney problems, of blindness and of of foot ulcers. And these products are out there now, testing your eyes and testing your feet every day, standing on these mats. That's that's a bit blunt, but it's better just to be to give people a heads up. Oh yeah, honesty is the best. Well, uh, well, it is. I mean, I, you know, you don't want you want young people to do really well and to live a full life, but at the same time, you need to sort of just say, hey, these are the issues. So this is how you look out for them. Definitely. What projects are you working on right now that you're really excited about? <laughs> Rebuilding my website. I know it sounds a bit trivial, but you know, I have all this data, and it's really. It looks dreadful on an app, on a smartphone, and it it isn't that great on a website. So, you know, I'm paying people and getting things worked out. So I really want this website to to be easily searchable. So turning this Airtable into a MySQL database with a search function and a nice fast-loading front-end in JavaScript, you know, that's really exciting for me, and that'll take a few months. I've got a quote of a couple of grand. I've got to pay that off. And then at some stage in the future, I'd love to try and get this information out there. I'm not quite sure how. I'm not not very um, good at thinking up business plans, but the first step is just getting the website right. That'll That's my number one plan. So the website is wikihospitals.com? Correct. And we'll, we will link to that in the show notes. But other than the website, is where can people find you online if they want to reach out? I'm on LinkedIn and I'm on Gab. So LinkedIn, I'm just, I think it's, let me have a look. I think I'm just Delia hyphen scales is me on LinkedIn. So yeah, linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash Delia dash scales. And what was Gab? It's a new platform. It's like Facebook. It's an alternative to Facebook. It's started by an American guy, Andrew Torba, who's a Christian uh, he's believes in free speech. He's a dad. So he wasn't very happy with Facebook. He used to work in Silicon Valley. So he's created this new platform. So it's been going for about five years. It's got quite, a, it's got, I don't know, over 10 million views a week. It's doing really quite well. So I have a health page on that and I can send you the link to the health tech page. So I post issues that, you know, people might find useful. So we will definitely link to your website and to your LinkedIn and to your Gab profile. Thank you so much. And thank you for coming on with us. It's been awesome talking with you. Yeah, well, any time I can be of assistance, please just get in touch. If, there's, um, if you've got a particular interest, I'll, I'll uh, look out for things that, that, you know, that interest you. And I'm just so pleased to be able to reach people via podcasts like yours because, as you know, people are looking for, for podcasts like yours. People are looking for information and they're not getting it from the, what we call the 10-minute tick and flick at the doctors. They're certainly not getting it from mainstream media. 
Facebook and all that, they've, they've just lost it. So I think your role is great. Well, you know. Well so said. The role Thank of podcasts. You. Yeah. Well, you know, it's great because people really want the information and you guys are the new medium. You're delivering the message, which is just fabulous. All right. Our question for you guys this week is, what are some obscure or lesser known technologies or platforms that you have used to help manage your diabetes or that somebody else has used to manage their diabetes? Let us know. And that is it for this episode of This is Type 1. Thank you so much to Delia for coming on as a guest to the show. You can find Delia on LinkedIn and on Gab, and you can find those links in the show notes. And the show notes are at inspiredforward.com slash episode 83. That's the number 83. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show, you can fill out the form on our podcast page at thisistype1.com. Our music is by Joseph McDade. I have a free Facebook group where I coach people for free in the comments, and I go live on most Saturdays. You can join Life and Mindset Coaching by visiting the link in the show notes. I think it's hard sometimes to do things on your own and feel like you're successful at doing them. So if you want help losing weight, reducing stress, and improving your relationships, among other things, because let's be honest, there are plenty of problems that we all have, you can book a free consult with me at inspiredforward.com slash book. I'm on all social media as at inspiredforward, and you can find me on DMP, which is Diabetes Management Platform, as at Colleen Mitchell with a space. Our email is colleen at inspiredforward.com. And I'm on Instagram as at JJ underscore Crystal K-A-T. Please feel free to send me questions or comments you have about type 1 diabetes or about the show. If you do reach out on Instagram, make sure you let me know that you're a listener. Thank you so much for joining us today. And be sure to listen next week when we talk about the cost of diabetes. It's not just financial, but it's emotional and physical too. Remember, you control your diabetes. It doesn't control you. Hey, if you like what you're listening to on this podcast, you have to join us in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. It's my private community where you'll connect face-to-face with other people with type 1 diabetes, get personalized emotional support, and learn how to handle anything T1D throws at you. Join us over at inspiredforward.com community. I can't wait to see you there.